Hey folks, this is Glenn Mann and welcome to an all new episode of the Man from New York podcast. Hope you're enjoying your day, your evening, whatever time you listen to this. Now, the big television event of this past weekend was a live musical on the Fox Broadcast Network. A musical Rent. Rent uh, debuted in 1996 on Broadway. It's a rock pop musical uh, telling the story of a group of young bohemians in New York's East Village in the early 90s, a place that was known for uh, being gritty and a place where you struggle to survive, to eat, to pay rent. And of course, Rent the Musical will become a cultural phenomenon. Uh, one of the things that drove the narrative is that, unfortunately, the creator of the show, Jonathan Larson, he died while the show was in previews. So he never got to see the success of this musical, of the impact it would have. Now, Fox decided to broadcast a live uh, production of the musical. Now... There was once upon a time in television, musicals, live musicals were a big thing. But then there was a period of about, I don't know, 40 years or maybe even longer than that. But television networks didn't air stuff like that anymore. It was considered too pricey. wasn't really, you know, something that was a lot of dividends to be paid out for it. But in this era of streaming and of DVRs, live entertainment is a premium product. In television. It's one of the reasons why uh, cable networks and broadcast networks pay tons of money for the rights to sports, to basketball, to the NFL, to, to college uh, sports. It's one of the reasons why Fox uh, l- last year signed a $1 billion deal with World Wrestling Entertainment because live entertainment is the one thing that still attracts eyeballs, eyeballs that you need to get advertisers to make money. And a couple years ago, I believe it was NBC, sort of started this renaissance of live musicals on TV. They did The Sound of Music, which was received some mixed reviews, but did very well in the ratings because they came back uh, about a year later, and they did Peter Pan, and then they did The Wiz, which of course is a version of The Wizard of Oz, and then a couple years ago, Fox decided to get into this game because they saw the ratings, they saw there was money that could be made, they saw the attention you could get on social media with a live programming like this, so they decided to do Rent, which is, like I said, a very popular musical, uh, especially among uh, young people, uh, even, you know, millennials, people, but people of all ages, people, it's a very popular musical, but there was one problem, apparently. Uh, last night, one of the principals, performers in the show, hurt his foot. Sometime during dress rehearsals, unable to perform, and apparently uh, there was no understudy. Which, So they had to basically broadcast a tape of the live rehearsal. And there was only like maybe five minutes of actual live programming. And apparently fans were very upset. People didn't like it. And there were sort of all kinds of things. Uh, pe- people were, you know, thought it, they thought it was horrible, or people thought they got cheated out of something. But you know, 
If it was like a regular show on Broadway, there'd probably be an understudy, but this was a television production of a Broadway show. There's probably so many different things that had to be rehearsed and remember, it probably was almost impossible to have an understudy be ready to step in at the last minute uh, to perform that role. But speaking, uh, well, I was saying the rent, it takes place in a time in New York where, you know, crime was still an issue and drugs and rent deals sort of explicitly with the plague of HIV AIDS and sort of the shadow that loomed over many communities in the city. But now if you were to walk through the East Village, uh, you would rarely see any remnants of that time period because New York and the East Village has changed a lot. A lot of it has to do with money and issues like gentrification and real estate development. And Rent dealt with a group of young people who were squatters. Uh, the East Village had the reputation. There were many abandoned buildings in the East Village. And people who had no place else to go simply moved in. They took over these buildings. They fixed them up. They got water running sometimes. They did all kinds of things to make a home. And eventually, many of these people actually got to stay in these homes after they had many long legal battles with the city. They were able to stay there legally. But, like the musical said, it was all about the rent, really. But one person who was not worried about rent at all in Manhattan is a man named Ken Griffin. Ken Griffin is a hedge fund guy who is considered one of the wealthiest men in the world with a net worth of about $9 billion. Last week, he purchased a penthouse apartment overlooking Central Park for the price of $238 million. That's right, $238 million. The most expensive apartment purchase in United States history. And this is a big deal. Not for him, because like I say, he's worth $9 billion. He probably just dug through his cushion of his sofa and, and found $238 million. Or maybe he looked through an old coat. You know how you go through an old coat and you find like $5 or a dollar? He probably went through an old coat the winter was coming and oh he found 238 million dollars to pay and it's such an enormous amount of money and that wasn't his only big real estate purchase this month a couple weeks earlier in london where he's also based he purchased a castle that's like over 200 years old and he bought that for 122 million dollars which i guess is quite the bargain for a castle near Buckingham Palace. So, if there's so many big real estate deals, many developments. New York City is a place consistently and constantly under construction. And I believe this apartment, which is about 20,000 square feet, contains several floors. I believe it's a raw space, meaning that there's nothing actually there yet except space. So, He's probably going to spend even more millions to get this thing looking like something. And he's probably only going to spend, like, God knows how little time there for this record-setting thing. Now, 20,000 square feet, if you think about how small some apartments are in New York, hey, he might be getting a deal. It might be a bargain. Now, $230 million is a lot of money for most people. Uh, not that much for this guy. 
And if he had an extra $238 million, probably wouldn't make much of a difference to him. But someone who, and I think most of us, an extra $200 million would make a big deal to us. And an average person just happened to come across an extra $200 million. Well, well last week, there was a Brooklyn man named David Johnson. He's a, I believe, a truck driver. He was announced as the Powerball winner of the New York Lottery, where he won $298 million. He's a working man. He's probably going to be able to fulfill all his dreams, go on luxury trips, take care of his family members and friends. So we have these sort of two opposites. So on one hand, we have a guy who has billions and billions of dollars. And by this purchase of an apartment for over $200 million, it's a big deal. For those following it, probably isn't that much for him. Then we have, on the other hand, a simple working guy who happened, won the lottery. You got to be in it to win it. And his life will be forever changed. Uh, but hopefully it will be for the good. Because, as has been noted and recorded over the years, big-time lottery winners uh, tend to have some troubles. Uh, because money... Hey, it changes your life, and it brings out the worst in people around you. Sometimes it brings out the worst in you. Uh, and suddenly, your life is so upside down, and some people simply aren't ready to handle so much wealth. So hopefully, this guy has a good money manager and advisors that can lead him, to, lead him in the right direction. But the, the tales are many of lottery winners who, a couple years after winning the lottery, were either broke because they spent all the money, or they invested it in really stupid stuff, or there were issues with family members and friends, and there were lawsuits and violence and all kinds of crazy stuff. Now, I would like to think personally that if you gave me $200 million, I would know exactly what to do with it. Like, I feel confident in saying I am ready to be a 200 millionaire, whatever if that the word is, or I'm ready, I'm, let's just say I'm ready, I, I'm, I think I feel prepared uh, to be, you know, one of the money class. Now, speaking of money, there's a lot of talk this weekend about who's going to run for president, and of course that takes a lot of money, and it attracts people who have made money, and a couple of big names have already announced they're running for president, but last night on 60 Minutes, Howard Schultz. Howard Schultz is the former chairman and CEO of Starbucks, and he made it known that he is considering a run for president of the United States in 2020, not as a Democrat, which he has been a registered one for many years, or as a Republican, but as an independent. Of course, there's lots of chatter about why he shouldn't run, or why he should run, or why he would appeal to people. Now, Howard Schultz is a native New Yorker, born and raised in Brooklyn, and modest beginnings in the projects of Brooklyn. And he turned this little coffee place in Seattle into this worldwide brand, really, which has become ubiquitous in its presence around New York and many other places around the country. And Starbucks, continuing to this day, but maybe a lot more earlier, has sort of a status symbol. Meaning, if you went to Starbucks, you were saying something, right, about yourself. You were saying that you wanted a little bit more sophistication in your choices of coffee. Or maybe you just wanted to say, hey, I'm trendy. 
Or maybe you just wanted that nice little cup with a nice little pattern design and logo on it. Because when we make choices in retail or any kind of service, we, in some ways we are making a statement. Sometimes we're just doing something that's convenient. Like when we, like when you were a kid, when you went to McDonald's or Burger King, that felt like something important, right? Because we're going to McDonald's and we're going to get a Big Mac and we're going to get a Whopper. But when you're an adult, it's just you're hungry and that's the closest place you're next to. But for Starbucks for many years, Starbucks has been a place where I'm going to go to Starbucks because I like how it looks. There's very, uh, there's nice looking people in there. Like I said, Starbucks has become more and more popular and has many more locations. It's become almost a routine place. It has lost a little bit of that specialness. And now people go to other places because Starbucks is, feels too uh too same, or I don't even know what that means, too same, but you get the, you know what I'm talking about. Now people go to specialty places owned by, you know, independent owners, not part of a big corporation or chain, because they wanted more of an authentic experience. Uh, now people once went to Starbucks because they wanted a different experience as compared to Dunkin' Donuts or their local coffee shop or diner. So Howard Schultz, who knows all about marketing and branding and delivering the product, you know, might run for president. And perhaps he's going to make the country run like a Starbucks, meaning that you're going to stand online a little too long and you are going to spend a lot of time looking at the menu, wondering should you get that triple soy macchiato, uh, caramel, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Should you get that or should you just get some regular coffee or, you know, you better get a seat because if you go to Starbucks and you really want to sit down and there's some person who's been there for six hours with a laptop with an empty page because they're trying to write a screenplay. But it is a unique experience. I remember a couple of years ago, actually more than a couple of years ago, when I, was, I would go to class. I had this class that was like mid-afternoon, late-afternoon. So, when I went to this class, I would always go to Starbucks before this class to get me something. I didn't want to have something to drink uh, during the class. So, I would always go to Starbucks. It became my routine. Sometimes, if I was a little early, I would just sit in Starbucks for a little while by the window. People watched. This was a Starbucks I near, near the Soho area. So, there was a lot of uh, sort of well-known people that lived in the area or hung out, so it wouldn't be a surprise to see a movie star or a TV star walk into this Starbucks. But often I would go to Starbucks and I would go to class, and there's another classmate of mine, she also would go to Starbucks every time, but she went to a different Starbucks. She went to a Starbucks that was like a couple blocks away, but she would show up, we both would have our Starbucks, and we would kind of like, so one day I did not get a chance to go to Starbucks, I was running late. And she was like, where's your Starbucks at? She's like, I'm so used to seeing you sitting there with that cup. And it became sort of my thing. I was like, I have to go to Starbucks because, I, you know, I feel like I'm, I don't know what it is. I feel like I'm, part, not if I'm part of something, but at least I'm, hey, I'm at this Starbucks, which has like, a, is it a hip location? And this is where like all the pretty people are hanging out at. So maybe that cup of, of iced tea, which I would get, 
meant something more than just a cold beverage on a nice summer or spring day. And she said the same thing too. She said that, you know, she likes going there. She just, she was a little older, but she was like, she likes going there because they're young people and she's like the energy and she's, and she liked how the cup look. And when someone's running for office, believe it or not, voters are going to make decisions kind of based on those type of things. How does a person make you feel? Uh, does saying you're a supporter of this person give you a certain cachet? So, like, when people say, hey, I'm a Barack Obama supporter, that means something to certain people. Or someone says, I'm a Bernie Sanders supporter, or I'm Donald Trump. When you say these things, that means something, that signifies something about you that you want people to know. But I don't quite know what supporting Howard Schultz would mean. What I mean, because he's a business guy, that you're someone who says, hey, I, I want a business guy to signify that I'm serious about how the country should be run. Or you signify that you really like, you know, Frappuccinos in July. If you say, I support this guy. So, I mean, this is a, some of the issues that people are going to figure out. Now, if I was going to make a bet, and I would bet exactly maybe a $5 Starbucks gift card, I would say that he probably is not going to run. Because I think it's, like, the people who, like, spend all this money on campaigns, I understand public service and everything. Like, this talk of Michael Bloomberg maybe running for president and spending how many hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, you could do other things with that money. You could maybe buy an apartment that's $200 million. Or you could donate to charity. Or you could support other candidates. Or you could, you know, donate to a hospital. Or you could go to Las Vegas and, like, a fiend, gamble it all away and spend it on drugs and all types of sort of really crazy stuff. But to me, spending that kind of personal money... On a campaign, I don't know if I would do that. But only way to find out would be for me to actually like win the lottery, I guess. And if I have enough left over from buying an apartment overlooking Central Park, maybe I will run for something just to because I've got nothing else to do. Anyway, you have been listening to the Man from New York podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Glenn Price Man. That's Glenn with two ends, man with two ends. You could email me. That email is podcast at man Glenn. That's man with two ends, Glenn with two ends, podcast at man Glenn. So give me some feedback and tell me what you're thinking and what's going on. Once again, this has been Man from New York. Take care of yourself.